Thank wandering our way through the book of Hebrews. It's a big book. There's a lot there, and we're, we're at the last chapter starting today. Some of you can cheer. You're, you've been waiting for this. There you go. I'm actually cheering, too. Uh, if you know anything about me, um, I'm a guy on the move. I like to keep moving, and we've been a long time in one book, and I start getting itchy to move on because I like other stuff, too. And uh, so I'm looking forward to the next, next book that we're going to be looking at. But we're starting, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13, looking at 1 through 6 this morning. And uh, when we look at this, this is some of the practicality of all the stuff that we've been talking about for the uh, last 12 chapters. And we're going to look at some really practical truths of how faith works out in our everyday life. Have you ever noticed lately that a lot of people have a lot to say about a lot of different things, whether it's activities or politically or sports, a lot of life issues. There's a lot of people who are doing a lot of talking. And if you look very long at their life, you realize that what they're talking about and how their life works out aren't the same. They have a lot to say about things, but they may not actually live any of those things. Have you ever noticed that some who have the most to say about things really don't do any of it? You remember that Mike talked to us a couple weeks ago about all the people who wear sports gear but never actually exercise. I mean, this is one of the things that we're talking about. Have you ever noticed uh, that we are becoming a people, a culture, a group of people who watch others do things, but we don't do it ourselves? And we have a lot of knowledge about others who do things. Guys, I'm thinking uh, on the top of my head, you may have thought of this already, but, you know, we're talking about the guy who sits in his chair at home, his lazy boy, and coaches the game and tells guys how to play the game. Uh, He hasn't been on the field in 35 years, and if he walked across the field, may have a heart attack, but he's telling everybody else what they ought to do, right? You ever notice that, that we've got a lot to say about things, but we're not really all that engaged or really doing that? I don't know if you knew this, but right now there are over 1 billion videos on YouTube. There are 5 billion views per day. One billion hours watched. There are 300 million uploads every 60 seconds. Think of that. Think of how many. This is all videos that people watch of other people doing things. I'm guilty, by the way, if you ask my family... I'm guilty. I'll admit on the front side so you don't, hide, you don't think I'm hiding something. I grew up on a farm. I still love farming. There are part, there's parts of me that would like to go and, and farm. And so I have a beef farm that I watch from South Dakota. Uh, they post three or four times a week. My wife, she's like, you're watching tractors again. <laughs> it's quite exciting. I enjoy it, okay? You have weird things that you enjoy too, okay? And I'm not going to talk about those. But we've become a culture who watch things happen, and we love to watch things happen, and we will spend hours watching things happen and wish that we could engage instead of actually engaging. I want to tell you something, though, this morning, that that doesn't work in your spiritual life. It doesn't really work in our personal life either, but in our spiritual life, it definitely doesn't work. 
You can't watch other people engage spiritually and grow. It doesn't happen. You can't even really just listen to someone else tell you things, me, Pastor Mike, other teachers. You can't just listen to other people tell you things about the Bible and expect to grow. It doesn't work like that. You can gain some knowledge. You may gain some insight. You may even gain a little bit of experience on the off chance. But you're not really going to grow. It's not until our hearts and our minds and our actual beings are engaged. It's not until the Holy Spirit gets to use the gift mix that he's given you. If you're a Christ follower here, if you've come to the place where you understood your need of Jesus Christ and you understood that you couldn't pay the price for your sin, you know right this morning that the price that's paid for sin is death. And if, if you don't accept what Jesus Christ did on your behalf where he paid the price for your sin, that your death is the payment. And your death and separation from God for eternity is the payment for your sin. And the only way that that price is paid for you is by accepting what Jesus Christ did on the cross on your behalf. And when you get to that place where you understand that need and you accept what Christ has done for you, the Bible tells us this, that immediately the Holy Spirit, He takes residence within you, He empowers you, and He gives you gifts for the glory and the service of God. And the only way that you grow is when you engage with the Holy Spirit, and you let God do His work in you. That's the only way you grow. And so this morning, I want to, we're going to look at chapter 13, verses 1 to 6, and these are some of the practical steps of working out what God has placed in us. The author has spent all of the 12 chapters explaining to us what faith is, how it is evident or was evident in the past, how God used it, how God is using it still. And then he comes to this last chapter, and it almost looks like if you sit down and just read chapter 13, like he has all these random thoughts. But remember... Remember, this is a letter written to a group of people, and when he writes this letter, it's not broken up in verses and chapters, it's just a personal letter that's written to a church. And so these aren't random thoughts, they're just him concluding all that he's talked about, and he says, remember in this letter how I pointed you to what faith in Jesus Christ looks like, and what it meant as you as Jews and Hebrews to believe in Yahweh, to believe in God himself. Remember what it was like to have faith in God, and now I want to show you how it works out. Now get ready, because your toes are about to get stepped on, and it's not my fault, okay? It's what the author wrote about faith being worked out in our everyday life. So if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. They'll also be on the screen. And from these verses, I'm just going to choose five observations out of these verses. They're very obvious, 
But I want to talk just briefly about each of these five for our everyday life. Here it is. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what man can do to me. See what I mean? Random. It seems like random thoughts, doesn't it? It seems like he's jumping all over the place. He's not. He's actually taking everything that he told you about faith, about what faith is, about how it's evident, about how God produces it, about who God is, and he's making those items or those parts or those evidences, he's making them real in your life. And he's, what he's doing at this point is he's saying, look, I taught you all of the theoretical or I taught you all of the theology about God and faith, and now what I want to do is I want to get practical so you don't walk out of the room saying, oh, I know what faith is. I want you to live it. I want you to walk it off your feet. I want you to put it in practice every day of your life. And so that's what these five observations are. Let me tell you something about these observations of the evidence of our faith. They make our faith real. These are not conditions for faith. Catch this, people. These are not conditions for faith. They are proof of faith. Okay, just to be sure, that's on the screen, right? Yeah? Okay, I want you to read that with me because I want to make sure you catch this before we start this morning. Go ahead. These observations are not conditions for faith. They are, okay, let's do it one more time because some of you are just waking up. Okay, ready? Here we go. These observations are not, okay, so they're not what? Okay, this isn't how I get saved. That's not what this is talking about. Because the reason I'm being so clear about this this morning is this. There are those who believe that if I work hard enough, God has to be pleased with me and he has to save me. And it's not true. It's not true. It's not what I do that saves me. It's what Christ has already done. Okay, so this isn't a condition of my faith. This is the proof. This is the feet walking out the fact that I'm already in Christ. I'm already saved. I already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, so observation number one found in verse one. It's simple. Love people. Here it is. Let brotherly love continue. Whoa, hold it. That's too easy. No, it's not. It's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. How well do you love people? Don't answer. Somebody might have been watching in your home this week. Love people. He starts this out by saying this, look, look, if you say you have faith, if you say that you believe God, if you say that Jesus Christ is now the ruler and the master and the king of your life, then an evidence of the fact that God has a hold of your life is you will love people. Why does he say that? Here's why. Because God is love. 
It's not, it's not part of who God is. It's God is. It's his very character. It's his very nature. And if you and I say that our faith is placed clearly and squarely in the person of God, then the character of God will be revealed through you and through me. And the only way that can happen is if the love of God is splashed on, if shown to, is lived out in our everyday life. He says this, look, if you say you have faith, then you're going to love people. Now, I hear this all the time, and it's gotten more popular within the church, and it's, it's this, I don't want to be around people. I don't like people. Then you don't like God. Because the very image and nature of God is to love people. He loves people. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't have made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so if we are Christ followers, then observation number one and proof of my faith is I love people. I love people. I care for people. I show up in people's lives. John said it this way in, in one of his books, and in chapter 4 of 1 John, he said it this way, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. See the evidence? See the proof? If you've been born by God, and if you say you love God, then you're going to love people because that's who he is. The one who does not love does not know God Because God is love. He says this, look, you can't say that you love God and not love people because what you're doing is you're proving the fact that God is not in you. He's not even part of you. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. He says this, look, God's love was not dependent on you and I liking him first. God's love was not dependent on you and I getting it right or cleaning up our life or acting right or sitting up straight in church or listening to the pastor. It had nothing to do with any of that. Well, we were utterly helpless, Scripture says. Well, we were lost in our sin. Well, we were without hope. That's what it tells us. It says, God loved us. And so, when do we love people? Whenever. Whenever. Do we love them just when they're nice? No, we love them when they're jerks. Yes. Do we love them when they got their stuff all together? Sure. Do we love them when they don't? Yes. That's what it says. There's no conditions here on God's love for us. Now, does he want us to live in sin? No, and he talks about that. That's a whole different thing. But what he says here is this. Look, the proof of your faith is that you love people. Observation number two, I'll move on. Proof of my faith, observation number two is this, that we would show hospitality. Look at verse 2. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing so, some have welcomed angels as guests without even knowing it. That welcomed angels there is a reference back in Genesis, when in, verse, in chapter 18, when Abraham and Sarah hosted God, Christ, a Christophany actually is what it was. And Christ and a couple angels showed up and they made a meal for him and they were moving on to do something else, to do another mission that they were on, but they hosted 
Christ and, and these angels in their house. And, and so what he says here is this, look, he, he says, look, if you love God, then you will be hospitable. Not just you're going to love him, because sometimes we say, oh, we love people and we'll be there. But he says, look, the act of love is to be hospitable. It means to be generous. It means to actively engage in meeting the needs of others. And putting yourself out to do it. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been hospitable to anyone, you know that usually it's not on your time schedule, right? Being hospitable means that often I have to be put on someone else's schedule in order to do that. And he says, look, one of the obvious, one of the, one of the ways that we know that we are a Christ follower, one of the proofs that we are a Christ follower is that we are willing to open up ourselves to meet the needs of other people, to be generous toward them, to be friendly toward them, to receive them and help them out. Romans 12 says it this way, share with the saints and their needs, pursue hospitality. It doesn't just mean that when the odd time comes, it's, it, he says this, look, pursue it. Look for opportunities to be, hospita- to be hospitable to one another. Proof, observation number three, found the passage. Found in verse three, he says this. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them. And the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Observation number three, remember those who are persecuted for their faith. This is a little different than the first two. The first one is just love people. The second is provide for them, be hospitable, care for them. This one says this, be aware of those who are being persecuted because they believe in God. This actually is a reference not just to people who are in prison. There are those who are in prison because they should be in prison. And he's not saying don't care for those. That's not what this is saying. But he's very specific here. He's talking about those. And in, in Paul's day, in the day that all of this was being written, there were all kinds of folks who were being put into prison because they believed in God. Because of their faith, they were being placed in prison. Paul in Colossians said it this way. He said, remember me when I'm in my chains. (laughs) He knew he spent a fair amount of time, actually wrote some books from prison because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew the gospel of Jesus Christ and everybody in leadership knew that about him and so they would lock him out hoping that he would stop and of course he didn't. So, So the author writes this and he says this, look, Part of the proof of your faith is this, that you're not just living this tunnel vision life where you just look at your own life, and this is difficult in our culture because everybody's about themselves. But he says this, that you're not so tunnel vision that you miss the fact, did you know this, that there are people around the world right now, there are people this morning who are dying for their faith right now because they're a belie- just because they're a believer in Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Did you know that there are people who are sitting in prisons right now around this world because they love God? And they're telling people that they love God? That's all they're doing. They're not doing anything else. They're just telling people that they love God. And they're in prison. And so often for us in North America, especially in the Church of North America, we have this tunnel vision and we look at our life and our difficulties and the stuff that's before us, and we forget that there's a whole other world out there that's living a completely different life than we are. 
And so the author says, hey, look, proof of your faith is that you care about those people who are being mistreated for their faith. And that you give a little concern for those who are being persecuted for their faith today. And you go, well, how do I do that? Well, number one, be aware. There's a lot written about it. You can find out about it. It's very easy to do, actually. There's this thing called the Google, right, Justin? The Google? There's this thing. I just bugging my son. You can get online. You can read all kinds of things about the persecuted church. And you can become aware of what's going on in other people's lives because they believe in Jesus Christ. And you can, because you're aware, you can get on your face before God and you can lift those people up and you can pray for them. If you know this about God and you know this about prayer, we have an avenue, a direct avenue to God the Father through Jesus Christ in prayer. And we can bring anyone at any time before the Heavenly Father. You can be doing it right now if you know of people who are being persecuted. While I'm talking, it's not irreverent and it's not ignorant. And it's, you can be talking to God right now about those people. Because God says we have access into his presence at all times. And if you know of people, you may know of people, and you may be able to come alongside and encourage their families. You may be able to come alongside and write letters to people to make a difference for those folks who are being persecuted and in prison. You may be one of the people down the road, because this is, may not be that far away, that it happens in our country, and it happens to me, because I preach the Word of God. It's very possible. And if it happens, give me a candy bar, would you? Think of me. That's what I'm trying to say. Remember, pray for, encourage. Because I'm not going to stop preaching the Word of God. And even if it comes to that, God says, look, remember those who are willing to stand up. And it may come that you are one of those people. If you call yourself a Christ follower and you live in this country and the distance that our country is going and how quickly it's going. In Canada, I just read this week... Canada is also supposed to be a free country, not so much. I just read this week that their parliament is deciding that they want no public prayers for November 11th, Remembrance Day. No public prayers. We're not far from that here. And so this whole thing of persecution, it doesn't just happen across the country. It can happen to us, and when it does... One of the proofs of our salvation, one of the proofs of our faith is that we stand in the gap for those who are being persecuted. Believer, when was the last time you stood in the gap, you prayed for, you lifted up, you encouraged someone who is being challenged in their faith or because of their faith? It's an observation. It's a proof that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We're aware of those brothers and sisters in need. Observation number four from the, pa- from the passage is this, honor marriage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse four says this. Marriage is to be honored by all and marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Let me just be right up front with this and I'm not gonna beat around the bush because our culture is winning this war. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. It's wrong. It should not happen. And in God's eyes, he abhors it. There are not spaces where it's okay. It is not okay. 
It is sin. It's how God views it. He puts a very high level on marriage, and he holds it to a standard that our culture knows nothing about. And he looks at marriage and he says, the reason I hold this level, this standard on marriage, is because this is a picture of Christ and the church. Read it in scripture for yourself. And he says, look, when a man and a woman get married, and that's marriage, by the way, it's a man and a woman, that's what Genesis says, that's how God ordained it. And when a man and a woman get married, they are for each other, all about each other, and only have eyes for each other, and physically are only for one another. That is the only place, that is the only time that sex is to be enjoyed, and enjoyed it will be when it is done right. But God's view is that this is for marriage. And this author writes this, and he says, you want a proof that you have faith? You want to have proof that Christ is the Lord of your life? You want a proof that he's the master and the king of your life? Then honor your commitment. Keep your word. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct you and give you the strength and the courage to live out what he's done for you. Honor your marriage. You say, Tim, that's awful harsh. No, it's just the truth. It's what God wants. And we look at our families and we look at our culture and we wonder why we're in the mess we're in. And part of the reason is, is because as Christ followers, we've looked at these things and said, some of these are optional. They're not. They're not optional. It's how God designed us to live life. And here's the thing, folks. When we live life according to God's design, it's interesting. It works. It's an interesting thing. Is it hard at times? You want to believe it. Does it make you unpopular at times? Yep. But if you'll walk through it, if you'll live with God through that, he will bless and encourage in ways that you never dreamed of. Young people, teenagers, there's a pile of you here that aren't married yet. And you're living in a culture where anything goes. You're being told that there's free sex, you can do whatever you want, it doesn't matter, it doesn't harm anyone, it doesn't affect anyone. It's a lie. Don't buy it. Don't play with it. Scripture says when we play with that, we get burned. And it's right. So if you're a young person here and you're not married and you haven't been down this road, you protect yourself to the best of your ability. And you go before God and you honor God and you say, God, the only way I'm crossing this line is when I get married. And guys and gals, you start praying for that person that God's bringing into your life, and you ask the same from God for them. And you say, God, would you put a, would you put a hedge of protection around that person that's going to be my spouse? And would you keep them pure? Would you help them to make decisions that make a difference for our lives? Because it's going to affect both of you for the rest of your life. See, faith is not something that's up here. 
It's something that I live out every day of my life. It's something that I walk out my feet every day of my life. And the author says, look, it's been great to tell you about faith, but let me be really honest with you. If you say you have faith, then you got to live it out in every aspect of your life. All the personal pieces, all the pieces with individuals that are hard to get along with, every aspect of my life has to be affected by my faith. Not just one or two, all of them. Honor the marriage bed. God places a high value on it. And so as Christ followers, guess what? We should too. Observation number five, I told you these wouldn't be easy. Observation number five, this one's not easy either. Don't love money, trust God. Here it is. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what man can do to me. You wonder why this whole passage or these, these sentences are put together. And here's why. He says this, look, don't love money. Notice he doesn't say don't, don't have money or don't work for money. He doesn't say any of that. That's not what's in there. He simply says this, don't love money. And here's why he says that, because anything that we love, we chase. And when we chase it, we chase it to the exclusion of God himself. And our security and our wholeness get wrapped up in whatever that is. And the author here chooses, chooses money. And the reason I think he does it is because he knows the hold that money can have. And what happens with money is this. I get a little bit and I want a little more. And I get a little more and I want a little more. And I get a little more, and I make choices in my life that affect the outcome of my life just to get a little more. And the next thing I know, God is placed over here and my full focus and everything that I'm about is making enough money. And that's how I cloak it. I need to make enough money. You realize there are people in this world today who are living on a couple bucks a day? We're complaining about making enough money. Most of us have so many toys, we can't even use them all. But I don't have enough. I need more. I'm not against toys. What I'm trying to get to you is this. Faith, the proof of my faith is what I pursue. That's what he's saying. The proof of my faith is where my heart is, where my longings are. And he says, look, look, don't love, don't chase, don't pursue money. Trust God. Put your trust in who God is. Get your security from the person of God. Make sure that you're so wrapped up in your faith in who God is and what God is providing for you and how God is working in your life that that's where your eyes are fixed, not on anything else. Proof, proof of my faith is that the Lord is my helper and I will trust completely 100% in him. My security is not found in what I have. My security is found in who he is. My relationships are not wrapped up in my money and how hard I work. My relationships are wrapped up in the person and the love of Jesus Christ and God himself.
the statement is about where my faith is placed. I don't trust what I have. I trust God. So all of these easy things that we've talked about this morning, aren't you glad you came? I'm glad you did. But all of these things that we've talked about this morning, they all affect every person in this room in one way or another. And if you make the claim to be a Christ follower this morning, how you respond to those five topics are a proof of where your faith is actually placed. And the author knew that. Is your faith solely placed in Jesus Christ? This morning, we're going to remind ourselves that that's where our faith needs to be. We're going to celebrate communion together. And communion doesn't save us. When we take the elements, it's a picture of the, the spilt blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. It's a picture of his broken body. It doesn't do anything for us, really. Jesus told us in Scripture that we're to do communion so that we're reminded often about what he's done for us and how he gave his life so that we could have salvation. I don't know about you, but I forget a lot. I'm finding in the years, as the years go by, I forget more and I write more things down. And God knew that and he knows that about our humanity, that we have trouble with our rememberers. And so what he told us in Scripture is this. He said, look, these people, their bodies and their minds are breaking down and they need to be reminded often of what I've done for them. And they need to be reminded often about the purpose of their Christian life. And the purpose of their Christian life is Christ. That's the purpose. It's not to build this. It's not to build that. It's not to have a lot of people here. That's really not it. That's not the purpose. The purpose is Christ and Christ alone. The purpose is for us to be solely seated in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we celebrate communion, communion is for believers in Jesus Christ, Christ followers, who are at a place in their life where they say, yeah, he's it. He's it. And so when you take the cup and you take the cracker this morning, remind yourself Christ is enough. I trust Christ. He'll provide everything I need for everything that I face this week. It's Christ and Christ alone. Let me read these verses to you from 1 Corinthians. He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he gives a warning. And I want to give this warning this morning because I think it's important. So then whoever eats the bread, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Let me stop there. What that means is this. 
If you're a believer in Christ here this morning and you have sin in your life, you know that your relationship with God is not what it should be. You know that there's something between you and him that you haven't talked about in a while and he's waiting on you because it's not him that's not talking, it's you. Then you go to him first and you deal with that, whatever that may be. And if it involves another person, then you go and you talk to them and ask for their forgiveness. That's what he's talking about here. If there's sin in my life, deal with it. He says this, whoever does that in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let the person let each person examine himself. In this way let him eat the bread and drink of the cup for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so this morning God is calling us to remember He's saying, look, remember who your faith is placed in. Remember it's what I did for you at the cross. And remember that I'll provide everything that you need. But remind yourself. Remind yourself. Remind yourself that you've been forgiven. Remind yourself that you're a child of the king. Remind yourself that you have a place at the table and you belong. Remind yourself that you have hope of eternity with him. Remind yourself of the graciousness and the love of God for you through Jesus Christ. And so this morning as we celebrate communion, remember, remember whose you are. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you so much for the observations this morning from the passage in Hebrews and the reminder that There actually is a living proof of our faith, and we walk it out in the choices we make every day. Thanks for reminding us of that. And thanks for this reminder this morning of what Christ has done for us. Thank you for the cup and the broken body, the the cracker that we'll have, the bread, that remind us of the price that was paid so that we could be free, so that we could have hope so that we could live out faith in the world that we live in. So God, encourage our hearts as we celebrate communion together. Be pleased with our heart attitudes as we come before you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.